I just I love Atlanta, and if you like, if you don't go to comedy shows here all the time, you are fucking up so hard just because there's so many fucking brilliant people. Definitely, you know, like Atlanta gives you so many opportunities to see brilliant people just grow. That like, if you're not going to a show, like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Hot breath. Oh boy. We're back. It's time. Hot breath. <sighs> Today's episode brings the hot larity thanks to Wax and Wick Candles. That's our sponsor. And they sponsor micro-batch candles hand-poured with 100% undyed soy wax and a double wood wick. None of that chemical jazz going on out there. Last week I was sniffing on the whiskey candle. Today I'm huffing on blue pine. This is their meditative scent, created to remind you to find your center during particularly stressful moments. Just like hot breath. So go on over to waxandwick.co and pick up your own hand-poured micro-batch candles today. The perfect friend for a hot brethren. We've had a few hot brethren reach out to us. On iTunes specifically, thank you to Gropert. He gave us five stars and said, get on this. This is one of the best comedy podcasts out there and really spotlights the talent coming out of Atlanta. Joel's a great host, and interviews are insightful and funny. Boom. Also, my man Jeremy Meesey, he said comedy TED Talks. Listen to this podcast if you want highly relevant info about comedy and people who do it. These talks truly gets better. <laughs> These talks truly gets better with every episode. It's refreshing to hear a host that asks well-thought-out questions and isn't just interested in hearing himself speak. The podcast is very valuable, and I never miss an ep. Thank you, Jeremy. And finally, we hear good stuff from Quasar X. Quasar says, one of my favorite pods. That's what I say short for podcast. Pods. Great pod. Great pod indeed as well today. With the mayor of Atlanta comedy, John Michael Bond. This interview takes place the week of his life-changing move out to Los Angeles. The offspring of a pastor and community organizer, John Michael has grown up helping others, whether by teaching hip-hop dance to the youth, being in a punk rock band, perhaps his musical theater talents, and all the way to his almost decade-long run as a social worker. Now, his social work is through comedy, and the support of his wife Emily, who also makes an appearance in this hot breath episode? Now, I guarantee you will leave this episode with a new hope for humanity. So inhale a hopeful hot breath with Bond. John Michael Bond. Boop, boop, boop. Testing. Ba, Testing. Ba, 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 ba. Ah, ha, ha. <coughs> Boom. All right, I think we're good. 9 11 was an inside job. <laughs> I'm just gonna, all my answers I'm gonna start. bring back to 9 11. Yeah. 
So tell us about that time you bombed. Oh, 9-11. Oh, man, that was, was terrible. <laughs> I mean, I didn't bomb. Like, my friends did. But, like, I helped. Uh... <laughs> no, you're fine? Oh, you can... This is your home. You can do whatever you want. Just, like, if you hear any sound in the background, that's my wife making pot roast. Mm. So if I ever sound too sad, just remember I have someone at home making pot roast. It's a lovely wife. It's just... <laughs> Thank you, sir. It's like a so sound. Because you know all about it. It's got some good weed. Music and all that. Oh, yeah, we'll get there. Oh, God. We'll get- <laughs> hey, what's it like to be insufferable to everyone? <laughs> Let's, uh, speaking of insufferable, if you could just please say your full name to the microphone John Michael Bond. John Michael Bond. Oh, was that? I don't know if that was like an audio test or if that was a, a thing for the. That's it. We're in. Oh, it. got it. John Michael Bond. I get, I don't know how to say my name right, but. Thank you, John Michael Bond. Thank you so much for being on Hot Breath, sir. Thanks for having me. So you're, of course, the mayor of Atlanta comedy. I, I do so not. I'm glad to have you on here. All right. <laughs> I don't. I, uh, I don't know. Maybe like a post-apocalyptic didn't ask for the job, but people keep saying that sort of thing. <laughs> but uh... you've done a lot for the scene, man. Thank you. I appreciate that. You've done a lot. You, you know, you took the 1 a.m. show under your wings and made it what it is today. Of course, you brought the 51st jokes. I get that start in Atlanta. I mean, it started in New York. That it show started in. I want to say it started in D.C., but I think it started in New York. It started uh, John F. O'Donnell, who's hysterically funny and is coming in March, uh, started it and uh, kind of franchised it around the country. So it's here. It's in. Uh, New York, it's in LA, it's in Austin, it's in New Orleans, and then a bunch of uh, unofficial ones I think are all over the country as well. Wow! But yeah, it's it's he's just like you can do this show and we'll promote it, and then you bring me to your city, and we're like, oh, that makes sense. I'm like, all right, let's do it. <laughs> you brought a lot of people to the city, though. Yeah, I mean, like that. It, he's one of those people I'd want to bring anyway. Um, that's I I like. Uh, there's a bunch of comics that I enjoy and want to see. Mm-hmm. And if they don't get booked at the clubs around town for whatever reason, like I still want to see them. So if they want to come through, I'm just like, Oh yeah, I'd love to do that. Why not? You know? <laughs> uh, so brought, uh, in the last year, uh, Sean Patton, Baron Vaughn, Jackie Cation, a bunch of people, but like but a lot, a lot of people. And a lot of people don't know you actually were funding. Like you did some of these out of your own pocket, right? Oh yeah. I lost money on some of them. Not because of bad ticket sales or anything necessarily. Just cause like you want to, like uh, you set guarantees and also like you try to help people with like lodging and stuff like that. Or just even like if I break even uh, on tickets and can pay the artist, like I still do promotion and things like that. Uh, I do the one I am is free, but mm-hmm. I do paid promotion for that pretty regularly. And like, uh, yeah. So, but also like, I think I had to say, that. I mean like it, I like doing comedy and I love comedy and, if I was going to pay 50 bucks to go see somebody, if I go 50 bucks over budget on a show, I would go see anyway, but break even. I'm like, I would have paid 50 bucks to see that. Like, <laughs> that's fine. <laughs> like, I'm also dumb. That also helps. Uh, oh, no, <laughs> no, no survival no. instincts whatsoever. <laughs> what, if, what if you got to see like this artist you really respected, but you were really tired when it happened? That's, that's sort of my ideal. <laughs> What is your take on the promotion side? You say you do a lot of paid promotion. So, like, what do you find is most effective? Um, I mean, most effective will always be, like, organic people saying, hey, come to this show. Like, 51st Jokes is always a wild success, but it's also a wild success because you have 50 comics going, like, (laughs) oh, my God, come to this, you know? Uh And usually if you have a a book show, you can have, 
one to two locals on it. And that's one to two people who are going like, hey, it would be cool if you came to this. Mm-hmm. And not a lot of people promote stuff that they're not on. Uh, so you just like organic promotion. Like if everyone in for shows, if everyone's just like, hey, there's this cool thing tonight. I'm not on it, but you should go. Everyone's show would do better. Uh, just because that word of mouth, especially word of mouth that doesn't have anything for the person saying it to gain is always better promotion than me going like, I need this, please. Right. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, yeah, this is my big break. So you have to come support me is way less fun than, oh, my God, there's this great thing tonight that I have nothing to benefit from <laughs> that you should go to. Yeah. Um, so that'll always be like the best uh, paid Facebook promotion is the only way to do good Facebook promotion anymore other than organic. Uh, because they go out of their way to shut down pages and make sure that if you share something, no one sees it. It's real fun. Uh, they used to be great for it, but they've like even like uh, sites like BuzzFeed and Gawker and things like that are seeing their normal like reach from social media uh, crater this year just because Facebook's changed the way that their algorithm works. Wow. Uh, and that's why they're putting out so much content a lot of the time. Um, so for promotion, it's sort of the same way. Um, I found with 1AM, if I do just like you know, five or 10 bucks every week. Uh, that's sort of enough. Cause we have a small enough number of followers on our Facebook page that that's enough people that will still get like a decent, uh, spread of promotion within the 30 mi- or like the 25 mile radius that we promote. Um, but if we were any bigger, it would be exponentially more expensive to do that. Um, I still, I print, uh, posters a lot. I've stopped doing that recently because every time I put up posters, shitty people in neighborhoods would just tear them down immediately. <laughs> I would just go back like the next day and be like, where did all my lovely art go? And they'd be like, we don't believe in that here. Like, all right. Uh, so, but it's, I mean, it's a lot of different kinds of things, but it's mostly just tell, try to tell as many people as you can about anything in any possible way that you can. Uh, at one point I was, <laughs> I wrote uh, for the Baron Vaughn show. I just uh, I wrote uh, Baron Vaughn live at the Highland Ballroom Saturday night or Friday night, whatever night it was on uh, post-it notes and just left them in bathrooms. Oh, nice. <laughs> like, yeah. Just like, here you go. You thought this was going to be pornographic, <laughs> but it's not. It's just telling you about some jokes. Here you go. Like, <laughs> I'll do any kind of promotion I can think of. I'm dumb. <laughs> Well, but it's also innovative, though. But it works, yeah. Yeah, and so, it works, and that's why I asked, because yeah. it's definitely working. Well, I mean, those that's the thing that's also sort of... Uh, the thing that's sort of nice, I guess, is like I've promoted enough shows that um, I do get some of the organic, like, just go support this, like, thing. Mm-hmm. It's like, uh, 1AM's built up a certain amount of trust, because people know if they go to that show, it's going to be a good show, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, people know, like, I've people I told about the Sean Patton show that had a really good turnout. A bunch of those people were like, Hey, let me know when you have your next thing come up. And I told them about Baron and they came for that. And a bunch of people, those of those people were like, Hey, that was great. What's next. And I was like, Oh, we're bringing Jackie Cation. So a bunch of those people came. Um, wow. So, I mean like a lot of it's just, if you do good stuff and then at the end of your show or like, Hey, if you enjoyed this, here's some other stuff that we have coming up and then make sure that's, you know, good. <laughs> you yeah. know, like it's, you just kind of, I think sometimes people are like, the, the oh, man, that was a great show. Thanks for coming. And then they leave. And I'm just kind of like, oh, no, if they had a good time, this is like the only like natural promotion time you're ever going to have. So I'll always be like obnoxious at the end of a show and be like, hey, before you go, just, uh, you know, I don't make anyone sign up on my email list yet. I probably should have. If I had if I had done that, like Kevin Hart, go to a 
dead town, have everyone write down their email. Would have been like way better promotion, but I'm also lazy when it comes to keeping track of paper. So uh, it's all organic. <laughs> but it's also years of experience because back in Chattanooga, you would also book punk shows. Is that right? Uh, sort of. I mean, like it was. I didn't. I didn't book that many punk shows. Uh, thankfully, because I had really weird taste in music at the time, but uh, <laughs> I went to a lot of them. Like I, I grew up going to like rock concerts a lot, and specifically when I was a little kid, uh, I got really heavily into punk music because there were a bunch of and I, this sounds terrible. There were a bunch of like Christian pop punk bands um, that were really good, and I would still hold up that most of them, some of them, are very good. MXPX is legitimately still a band that I enjoy. Uh, wow. But well, not their new shit. But whatever. I'm because I'm because I'm because I'm, I'm I'm 30 years old. I probably shouldn't be like, yeah, I love that song about high school still. But I do. I still fucking love that song. No use for a name. But when I was a kid, yeah, like that's how I got into No Use for a Name. Uh-huh. Uh huh. I was I that like I got into punk rock stuff because uh, I was a Christian kid, and then my dad would get like record. He was a pastor, so he would get mm-hmm. packages from like christian punk labels that were like play this for your youth group and our youth group was like this is stupid and i'd be like this is so cool you know <laughs> and then i'd look at the the album notes and i'd see like the pictures of the bands and they'd wear like a shirt that was like no use for a name no effects and i'd be like oh i bet those are other christian bands and they weren't and it was great um <laughs> so like i would i would just be like no dad mxpx said that they're fine he's like all right well you can listen to them and then i'd get really into songs about like heroin and stuff like that and be like this is fun so like I I liked that stuff a lot growing up and I sort of uh became that insufferable kid who got really into the ethics and like like no nah, man you support your scene and like mm. you like you bring people you want to see in your hometown and like it doesn't matter if you're living on rice and bread man it just matters that you're bringing art you know and I was yeah. real terrible um <laughs> and I tried to book shows and I tried to be in bands and I was very bad at it um <laughs> like I was I've been in a, I've been in more bands that have never played a show than any person I've ever met <laughs> Um, been in so many of those. Played drums, sang, screamed. Uh, I didn't. Pl- I played bass once, and I've never played bass before, uh, so I got kicked out of that real fast. But uh, I was bad at it. Um, but then I found like comedy, and there was local comedy scene sort of in Chattanooga. We had a club, mm-hmm. uh, which I won't shit on, but they don't support local comics at all. So fuck. Uh, no, I'm just, I'm just kidding. Comedy catch you piece of shit. Uh, but uh, <laughs> no, like. Comedy Catch eventually became a place that was really cool for me. But when they started, they didn't have like a mic and they didn't have uh, they didn't put up a lot of local people. They had a couple people that they booked and there wasn't like expansion opportunities. Mm -hmm. Um, And one day I was at my local like rock club, JJ's Bohemia, and there was a comedy show that some of my friends were on and I watched it and got too drunk and was like, oh, man, I could do that better than you uh and i was real asshole because i was <laughs> like 26 and still an asshole probably but um and the the guy who was running the show joel ruiz now runs ladies night in atlanta yeah uh was just like all right asshole we'll put you on the next show and then two days before the next show hit me up on facebook was like remember that you're on this show i was like no he's <laughs> like well you were a jerk last time so come try and i did and it was it worked out all right um and the. Uh, that like so that got me really that's like how I started doing comedy and then uh I really fell in love with it and then when I had friends who would come through that were in bands I'd be like oh man I don't know how to set up a music show but if you want to like play like if your bands want to play between comedy that would be incredible and then I found out that's never good right but (laughs) (laughs) like the band people are upset and the comedy people are upset um but I, I did that a couple times and it was really fun and then I started helping Joel with 
uh, bringing in out of towners and stuff. I, the uh, like we brought in Kyle Kinane at one point. Uh, he was like the first big out of town dude that we ever brought in, uh, and he ended up just sleeping on our sofa that weekend and being really cool. Um, but I mean, like that's sort of how it started. It was when like we brought him in, even it wasn't he wasn't big, you know. Yeah, he was doing. That was his first tour. His first tour in Chattanooga. I met him. His first weekend was at uh, the Funny Farm. Yeah. The, the old Andretti Funny Farm. Yeah, in Alpharetta. Yeah, and it was lightly attended. Because <laughs> not in Chattanooga. Like, it was his first weekend headlining a club ever. Exactly. You know? Yeah. And, like, but it was also the first, like, we drove from Chattanooga to see it because I had heard his album on YouTube. And, uh, like, first time I met Dave Stone uh, and saw... Gil- Scott Gilbert and uh, who else was on that show? Maybe Jared Harris. Yeah, <laughs> everyone knows Gilbert. Everyone knows Gilbert. But I mean, like we saw him, and I met him after the show, and he was selling CDs out of a backpack, and I was like, "Bands I like do that." Yeah. I wonder if I could ask him to do a show, and I was like, "Hey, would you be interested?" And this is like, "Yeah, sure. Here's my email." So we like emailed back and forth a couple times, and when he went on this tour with Patton, uh, I helped him set up like. A couple of dates just in the surrounding area. Wow. Um, and part a lot of again a lot of that even goes back to other Atlanta stuff, um, like Comedy Gold. If it wasn't for Comedy Gold, I wouldn't have been able to do that probably because mm-hmm. he was in Atlanta right before he came to us, and he was in Athens right before he came to us. I mean, like, so it was still really cool. But it was also like this kind of tightly knit group of uh, ding dongs who were all like, you know, it'd be nice. I want to see this guy. Let's bring this guy. You know. And I think that all kind of ties. I don't know. I'm rambling. <laughs> no, you're. I'm bad with timelines. <laughs> no, everything you're saying is relevant, though. <laughs> it's just pretty much saying you were your role here in Atlanta. You actually carried that in Chattanooga as well when you started. Uh, yeah, to a certain degree. Like Joel helped a lot. Like Joel did way more than I did, uh, which is great. But it was also like it was a good learning experience, and it was mm-hmm. one of those places where like even if there's someone else who books more than you, you get a chance to book, and like you get to. You know, see what it's like. You get to see how promotion works. You get to, you know, make posters and see how that's going to happen. You get to, like, there's, there's, you learn all of these little elements of booking just by taking risks. And I was lucky enough to get to do it in a town that, where like it, there's a small tight knit community, and that goes back to like the music stuff. Like people would come to comedy shows we promoted because they knew us from like promoting music shows, or like they knew we wrote for like zines, or we were just friends, and they knew we had decent taste they were like all right i trust you so like people would come out we had like 100 people at that first canadian show wow you know with, uh and the, like the years after that we had uh rory score scoville Derek sheen uh sean padden uh god who else did we have him uh joe DeRosa, like twice and wow. like 100 capacity punk bar louis katz wow i mean like just like some Really insane, yeah. uh, Nikki Glaser, like <laughs> in a like in a smoky hundred capacity punk rock bar, yeah, and it's just like completely packed out. Wow, and it's but it's a small town, so people are like, it was like that was the event that night. yeah, you're like that's my wife Emily, oh, uh, yeah, but she was all no, she She's promoted, here. she put up posters, she would help us do stuff. I mean, like a lot of it was just like we got her, we were like, hey, this is cool. What if all of our friends? made this happen you know i mean that honestly goes back into how i promote shows now i'm like this is cool will my friends help me promote this you know like Mm -hmm. i would i i get annoyed sometimes not annoyed annoyed sounds angrier but like it's it's frustrating sometimes people are like oh like you're so good at promoting shows i'm like i'm not i'm just really good at making friendships with people who will help me do shit you know 
And like, that's from years of working, because you did yeah. like door-to-door social work as well, so you've had to like... Oh yeah, I used to be a social worker. <laughs> work hands-on with people. Yeah, I mean, well, and even that, like, I think the social work informs my comedy more than it does my promotion, but it also like, to a certain degree, you have to learn how to sell people on stuff, mm-hmm. you know? Like if you're cold... Call- what I did when I was a social worker... Um, <laughs> It was terrible. I worked for... Um, <laughs> you did it for like six years. Uh, seven. Was right? Yeah. Seven? It was... Uh, I, what I did... I worked for uh, the Children's Health Division of Tennessee's state Medicare program. So uh, I was a health outreach worker. So what I did was on weekends, I would go to community events and I would uh, hand out like back, like free backpacks at back to school events mm-hmm. like and uh, Frisbees with our name and, and, fr- and then ostensibly giving out information and telling people about the program. But a lot of it's just handing out free pencils. Uh, And then during the week, I would do home visits. So I would uh, get a list of children who hadn't gotten their medical uh, checkup for the year. And then I would go to their house and cold call their parents and be like, (laughs) sup? (laughs) And you know how many people were stoked about that? Almost none. Um, Almost no one's happy to be like, hi, I'm here for the government, and I want to talk about your kid. Don't worry. (laughs) I only know all of your personal information. (laughs) and expect like I worked, you know, projects. I worked in trailer parks, um, mm-hmm. and it was like I, I, and then sometimes you would just drive into these like gated communities and you'd just be like, "What the fuck are you doing on this program?" <laughs> you know, and it'd be like usually it was like someone's grandmother had gotten them like custody of them and like a, a a dispute or something, and even then you're just like. Like, I, I, I'm glad that you're taking care of the kid, but you have a mansion, okay? Just yeah. put them on your health insurance. <laughs> but there were, like, more often than not, it, like, that was probably, like, 0.5% of the people I met. More often than not, you're just dealing with people who are in, like, crippling poverty. Uh, you, like, literally, um, like, it's interesting to me sometimes uh, where, like, like, I talk about, like, poverty. I, I talk about not poverty, but I, like, try to talk about political stuff sometimes. But a lot of it's just because, like, I saw so much shit when I was a social worker that I was just kind of like the like it permanently changed kind of my outlook on the world. Like the world is a fucked, dark, sad place, and ultimately it's up to us to be good and decent and help people. You know, mm-hmm. like I try to be really friendly just because I've seen so much suffering in the world. And I'm just kind of like, you know what? Maybe we could all just be a little nicer. And at the same time, I'm a total grump. So, um, but like you, it would go to houses where like like especially the rural areas. Rural Tennessee, there's people who are straight up living in like clapboard houses, wow. like like sheets of plywood nailed <laughs> to nailed together housing, with like you can see like the installation, like the uh, the insulation in the house like coming out the sides, wow. like it's just, like terrible crippling poverty, and that's not everybody, but that's enough people that I like can tell you a hundred people. Who have you know? I like I visited at least a hundred houses like that. That's know? just in your immediate area, and that was just in like so, the surrounding. I I worked in like a fifty mile area basically, uh-huh. um, but and then at the same time you would go into like projects that were slowly being torn down by a city that didn't care about public housing at all and wasn't investing in communities because they were so busy trying to revitalize waterfront so they can create this tourist industry. I'm really pissed at Chattanooga at the moment. Mm. but um, It's not just Chattanooga, though. I don't know, but Chattanooga specifically is sort of like a, a, an example of what it's, what it's like when a city pours hundreds of millions of dollars into uh, becoming a tourist destination mm. while simultaneously mm. stepping over people. Yeah, it's very that episode. Of, there's an episode of South Park from the season about gentrification, uh, and they 
they have this place. They're like, the soda soba, come have artisanal noodles next to this homeless person's house. And you're just like, yeah, that's Chattanooga, you know? And you've probably um, seen the evolution of that because when you were even younger, mm-hmm. didn't you drive around like a, a reading van? Oh, yeah, that's what got well? me into so- that's what got me into social work in the first place. Um, and that was honestly, that's part of one of the weirder things because I it was like eight years total of being a social worker. I got to watch the projects disappear. Wow. Like in a time lapse sort of where like. I'm like, all right, I'm going to Harriet Tubman tonight, today on the reading van. And then my last week uh, there, was they had just started shutting down that uh, project completely. And like, probably like half the buildings were boarded up. <laughs> and it was like, wow. and you're like, and you're and but there's still families there. And they're still like, they're trying to be, they're getting displaced. And they're, you're trying to find, like, it's, it was really weird to watch. Like, it's one thing to, like, drive by and go, like, there used to be people who lived there. But it's another thing to, like, work in that community for eight years Mm -hmm. and then be like, what the hell happened, you know? And what happened is the city didn't care. But uh, the – yeah, I worked for – on a reading van. uh, That's what got me into socialism. Or socialism. That's what got me into – well, it is what got me into socialism. (laughs) But – because it is socialism. Anything good you can do for poor people is probably socialism. And it's going to make someone super pissed. Um, Yeah, I I worked at Blockbuster for – uh, in like high school mm-hmm. and then when I was like 22 uh, I got fired because they accused me of uh, stealing a Lizzie McGuire DVD <laughs> because I sold a, a used DVD to the store from my, that my little sister owned so shout out to Kelly for uh, losing me that job it changed my life but um, wow. so yeah and I was just like if you guys are going to accuse me of stealing a movie at least accuse me of stealing a good movie uh, <laughs> so I, I left and I got this job uh, for like a year long commitment with um, AmeriCorps and we were doing a thing called Project Ready for School. And uh, the the basic goal was to increase literacy in our immediate area. So it was uh, a bunch of people worked on reading van. I worked on a reading van. A bunch of people worked in, like, after-school programs. Um, I ended up working in a reading van and then in the afternoon tutoring for, like, three or four hours wow. at uh, a computer lab at uh, College Hill Courts, which is this really, like, a, like, it's a project, but it's a really nice it was like a nice project. They had like a, a well-funded computer lab and like the community was like really connected and like it was a, it was a wonderful place to work. Um, met some really cool people, learned about Rihanna there. Um, I knew her music, but I didn't know she had a giant forehead and that's what all the kids wanted me to know like more than anything. They were just like, do you know Rihanna? I'm like, yeah. I'm like, you know about her forehead? I'm like, no. Nah. <laughs> like, what? It was, it was weird. But uh, the reading van... Uh, Basically, what we do, we would just go to projects, and then we'd go to trailer parks, and we'd set up shop. And ostensibly, uh, we would we were there under the guise of reading to kids, but what we were really doing is teaching parents of children zero to five how to read to their kids. Wow. So, like when you read a book to a kid, um, you have to point things out, and you have to make connections between like colors and objects. So when you're reading it, you're like, uh, you know, the boy rode down the street on his red bicycle what's the bicycle? And you, the kid points at the bicycle and you're like, and what color is the bicycle? The bicycle's red. You're building like these connections and how to like get context out of what you're reading. And this may be things the parents don't even know. And that a lot of it, parents don't even know. Um, and there were even times where like, you know, I would pull like pull parents to the side and like work with them on stuff. And cause there was me and a wonderful woman named Jackie Fuellen, uh, who is still fantastic. Uh, she's not doing the reading van anymore. She's still working social work in Chattanooga. Mm-hmm. She's absolutely amazing. Um, but I, you know, I would pull them aside sometimes and work with them. Sometimes in the evening with the uh, the tutoring, it was less 
you know, helping the kids with their homework than helping the parents with their like the homework for their kid because it's like if you know it, if you're a parent who uh say you graduated from high school but it, you didn't even like pay, you didn't pay attention really well in high school mm-hmm. i didn't pay attention in high school and you know uh or if you're a dropout or you know any of this if you have a kid they may be now coming at you with stuff that you've never encountered you know like i know it was hard for my dad to talk about like algebra 2 with me I can't even imagine what it would be like if you're a high school dropout trying to deal with it, you know? Wow. So, like, and I'm terrible with math, so that's a, a good sign the system does not work that I was helping. But, <laughs> uh, but I mean, that was, you know, that was part of it. You're just kind of like, okay, here's where you are. This is where you help. Figure out how to help, you know? Is this generosity something your dad instilled in you early on? Uh, so, sort of. I mean, like, my, my dad's a pastor. Um, my mom is... Uh, uh, an incredible, incredible woman who's done everything from community organizing to wow. uh, working in the government. Uh, she worked for the National Governors Association for a long time. Uh, she, When she moved to Chattanooga, she started a nonprofit uh, called First Things First, which helped lower the divorce rate in Chattanooga by like 30% over the course of five years. <laughs> like it was, they, she did incredible work. Now she works uh, for the Medical Society in Chattanooga and runs a nonprofit uh called Project Access, which has provided, I want to say, like $15 million worth of free medical coverage for people who are in the insurance donut hole, where, like, you you don't make enough money to be on government services, but you make too much money to... Uh, are you Like, you, you don't make enough money... Or you make too much money to be on government services, but you don't make enough money to qualify for, like, a subsidy or anything like right. that. So, like... Or you can't just afford insurance. So they have the, it's this incredible nonprofit that uh, if you need like your gallbladder removed, they find a doctor who will do that for you and they'll pay for it and things like that. So I mean, like charity work is and not wow. charity, like just philanthropy. Like yeah. being a, a loving member of your community is something that my parents really drove home uh, when I was growing up. Like you know, in the church especially, it can be very hard. Um, <laughs> my dad got kicked out of uh, or not kicked out. He got. Uh, he he agreed to leave uh, one of the churches that he worked at, the one that we moved to the South for, because he had all sorts of crazy ideas like, hey, as Christians, maybe we should work with like AIDS ministry and like work wow. for nonprofits that, you know, are helping this community that's being devastated in our community. And they're like, nah, you know, like, <laughs> is that when he went from Baptist to Presbyterian? Well, that's when he went from Baptist to a uh, car salesman for a couple of years. But yeah, that's. <laughs> He, it's similar skill set, but um, <laughs> no, he became a Presbyterian uh, after that. Uh, we, they, we, everyone stayed Baptist for a couple more years after that. Uh, but when he re-entered the ministry, he became a Presbyterian minister, um, and a lot of that was a, a really fun moment. Of it was an interesting couple of years, but like he, uh, like uh, it, it was fun to like. I feel like especially when you do what's right for the world, and like you try to. Like if you, it's never easy to say what people don't want to hear. You know, mm-hmm. it's never easy to be like, I don't care if you disagree with homosexuality. You're a Christian. You're supposed to treat that person with love. You're not supposed to scream at that person. You're not supposed to like treat that person hatefully. And they're like, but that's what I want to do. You know, <laughs> like I like it, it was really. I, I I can't even imagine. I know how discouraged I am when something I work at doesn't work, and like I know that was like something that. Uh, was it was it was a hard time for him because like, he was just like I'm doing what's right I'm doing what I yeah. feel like I'm called to do and then 
you know, it's the South. Sometimes people don't want to hear that. They want to be like, no, we want to, we want to only hear what we agree with. Um, and that was, I think it was a very difficult time. And he found, uh, in his current church in the, the Presbyterian church, he's a uh, Cumberland Presbyterian. So he's like the indie rock Presbyterian, but, um, <laughs> he, uh, he found it like it's, he's a small, really cool, loving church that has, uh, there, there are members of his community that are, uh, in homosexual relationships. There's interracial couples and there there's, and it's, and it's fascinating to watch where you, like, we'll go and visit and it's most, there's like a lot of, uh, older people in, in the church, but they're just like, everyone's loved. Everyone's like, they're, there's just a cool community. <laughs> it's, I think that was really good for him specifically. I don't know how much of this you want to have, but no, this is I all mean, interesting. Like, that's, but I, this I think is all things people don't know about you. Well, that's the thing. Like when I was a kid, like my parents have always made a very strong point of people have people as people have value. Um, when I was like, before I moved here, when I was like 10, we did a musical, we did the music man in Annapolis, Maryland. And, uh, there was, uh, one night after you were in the musical, I was in the musical. Okay. My, my whole family was like, uh-huh. we all, we did it as a family. Wow. My, uh, my mom was, a, uh, helped stage manage, uh, and did, do music. So my dad would get out of church at, uh, 7 PM and then we would haul ass and get to, uh, <laughs> like get to the, the playhouse by like eight. And then the show started at eight 30 <laughs> and they wow. were very generous and understanding about it. But, uh, at one night after, one of the the Friday night shows, they were like, "Hey, everybody's going out to this like piano bar," and I was like, "I want to go to the piano bar." And I was like, "I don't know if you can go to the piano bar," and uh, they were like, "I'm sure we can get him in." So they stuck me into uh, what I found out later was a gay piano bar, and uh, I would sing uh, like show tunes, and they would give me Shirley Temples, and that was, but that's how I, that was my first introduction to gay people mm-hmm. was. These are your friends, not nothing else. It wasn't even brought up that they were gay. I just saw two dudes kissing and went, mm. "Oh, that's what you do." Okay, cool. Like it didn't, it didn't bother me. You? I was ten. You were ten, and like you know, and they loved me because I was singing. You know, I, I would sing like you know what I did for love, and then they would give me like <laughs> Shirley Temple's. It was great, and like my parents at no point were like, you know, this is sin, this is wrong. These are people you shouldn't trust. These are people to be ashamed of. These are like nothing like that. They always um, seem to make sure you became your own person. You went to like an arts high school, and your dad oh, yeah. would also take you to like bad religion shows. And, oh like, yeah, that was NWA and all that. Like, <laughs> he didn't take me to NWA. I was too young for that. He like, but he got me that. into rap. Yeah, um, when I was yeah, I went to an inner city school in uh, uh, Bowie, Maryland, which uh, was great. It's just amazing. I, that's also a blessing because like when I was a little kid, I was just like, oh, I have friends who are all every color. Okay, cool. Mm-hmm. It wasn't even something I thought about. Uh, but when I was like in second grade, I was watching MTV one day and my mom was like, turn that off. And my dad's like, he's going to have to learn it eventually. <laughs> so he would like, he would watch like, you know, MTV raps with me and stuff and just like try to explain context, which is a white Baptist minister is not the person to explain rap context, but he was trying, uh, you know, like he was putting a lot of effort in. Mm-hmm. Um, and then like, yeah, one night, like even when he was at that like hyper conservative Baptist church. He picked me up from school one day and was just like, hey, you do, do your homework in the car. We're going to go to Atlanta. I was like, okay, cool. Why? And he's like, I got you tickets to the Bad Religion concert tonight. I'm just like, well, you're the coolest dad ever. <laughs> God's still real. I'll say that for you. Yeah. You know, but like, yeah, he was like, my, my father is one of my favorite people in the whole world. My mom, like, I, I get along famously with both of my parents. I, I wish I had more angst about it, but uh, like, mm-hmm. they're like, 
I feel it's it's frustrating when my friends are like, oh, you know, your your folks don't understand you and blah blah blah. I'm like, I mean, I'm sure I disappoint them constantly, but they have been nothing but supportive. You know, <laughs> like they they come up for shows all the time. Yeah. Uh, if they they came up for Jackie, they came up for Baron Vaughn. Uh, they uh, they every time I've ever been at the Laughing Skull, they come up. Um, like they're only two hours away, but like they they enjoy comedy, you know. Yeah, and they've seen me from when I started and was just garbage uh, <laughs> to where I am now, where I'm just trash. And uh, like, and that's like they've they're not horrified by anything that they hear at shows. Uh, the second time that I did stand up, uh, Joel Ruiz uh, of Ladies Night, uh, then Joel Ruiz, terrible host. Uh, brought me up with a, a four-minute story where he was like, I, I, I asked a genie to show me the most sensual experience that had ever been experienced in the world. So he took me to the night of John Michael's conception. And wow. then for three minutes graphically described my parents uh, having sex to conceive me. Wow. And in front of them. They're sitting yeah. <laughs> five feet away from him. And I'm sitting there just like, I want to tell jokes now. Shut up. And when he got done with his story, my dad just shouted, it wasn't long enough. So, ha. like, ha. <laughs> he's great. He's yeah, humor. He's great. Like, he's he's the I, I love my father so much. My mom, too. is just like she's crushingly funny, Brut- brutally, brutally, brutally funny, but just also like kind, loving, good, sweet person. They've always tried to encourage us to be into the arts. Like my dad played us records from the time we were, I was born. Mm-hmm. Like on when I was a little kid, he'd rock me to sleep singing the "I'm a Lumberjack" song by Monty Python. Like oh, he's wow. like yeah, they they've always thought that art and creation were really important. And I'm, I, they both desperately probably wish I had a job that made more money. But like <laughs> at the same time, they're like, all right, you're you're paying your own bills and. You're able to hold a marriage together and, you know, you're doing stuff that makes you happy and you're still working. So, like, as long as you're, like, putting effort in and not just sitting on your ass, we'll support you. Is that what was with the arts high school? You went from, like, an inner city school to, like... Another inner city school. Um, oh, and then... Well, your high school, the Chattanooga School for Arts? Yeah. Is it, that, like, a well, private school? Or? N- no, it's a magnet school. Okay. Um, What happened... I went... We moved to the south. I went to a... A private Baptist academy at the church that my dad preached at for two years, and that was a terrible choice. And uh, just it was fun. That was the first time where I was just like, "Why is people? Why are people so mean?" Like I didn't get it. Um, you got bullied a lot, a lot. It was like I was insufferable, and I knew everything, which is always you know a good way to not get bullied in uh, elementary school. But uh, red hair like the devil. Yeah, I had red hair like the devil. It was one of those weird situations where it was like a private school, but I got in for free because my dad was the pastor of the church. Uh-huh. And then they would just be like, you're only here because your dad's the pastor. I'm like, you're only here because your dad has money. What are you <laughs> like? You do realize we're in the same boat, like, except God's on my side. Like <laughs> the uh, so. And, but then I got to go to this really wonderful school called uh, Chattanooga High School Center for Creative Arts. Um, and it was in the process of going from uh, a poorly funded public school with a great arts program to becoming a full-fledged magnet school mm-hmm. um which is just like a, a like a normal public school that has uh some form of highly specialized program so chattanooga we have a science magnet an arts magnet things like that um and i so when i went there i started studying musical theater and choral music um 
and uh, I did. I <laughs> I danced for hey. uh, the entire time I was there. I used to be really good at uh, tap and uh, jazz. Uh, I took I, I taught <laughs> hip hop dance for uh, three weeks at a summer camp once, which was a terrible choice on their part. Uh, I did uh, ballet poorly, um, but a lot of musical theater, a lot of singing, a lot of acting. Um, doing all that stuff which really facilitated like my desire to perform for the rest of my life yeah also uh facilitated my desire never to do theater again but um (laughs) so i was like i gotta find something else (laughs) but it was it was a really cool school but like it's it is interesting to go back and see it now where like when i started it was a school where like people were still assigned to that school you know so you have uh this great arts community but you also have kids who are just going to that school because they're zoned for that school and the area of Chattanooga at the time that it was zoned for was still a very poor area. So it was like largely it was like an inner city school that happened to also have this incredible dance program. Interesting. Um, incredible theater program. An incredible choir. We had a kick-ass choir. It was awesome. I paid for some of my college with uh, choral scholarships, what? which is – if you've heard me sing at uh, hot, or, uh, hot Mic, doesn't make any sense. But smoking for years will screw up your voice. And what was your major? You went to University of Tennessee Chattanooga. What was your major, really quick? Uh, it was uh, English, English major literature. English. Okay. So you can go back to the singing, though. I just but, wanted. To oh no, it was yeah. Your um, trajectory. So I mean, like it. Uh, it's just like I've <laughs> I've never been in a place where I didn't get to do creative stuff. Like I've been mm-hmm. very privileged my entire life uh, to. There, there's always been an opportunity to like sing or dance or do stuff. Uh, I did community theater in Maryland. I did you know I sang in church. Uh, until I graduated from high school. Like, I went to church for two years probably after I stopped believing in God just because I liked going to church. You were a worship leader at one time there, weren't uh, you? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was... <laughs> that was weird. I uh, I, I was... I don't know if I was a worship leader if, as much as I'm sort of what I am in at Atlanta where I'm just nice to people. Okay. You know? Like, I would, I would sing, and I, I did praise band for a while. I played drums for the praise band. Uh, and But also, like... Uh, I was one of the like kids you could trust in the youth group because if a ninth grader showed up, I wouldn't push him into a wall, you know. So right. like, just being nice to people sometimes gets you mistaken as a leader. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I feel like all fascist governments start because someone was like, "Hey, man, you want a coke?" Like that's. <laughs> so, despite all your religious upbringing, your uh, your religious beliefs have faded. Is that what you were? They're, they're coming to? back more. Um, oh, okay. I think every, I don't know. I don't. I don't. I feel like for religion specifically, uh, like it. It'll always be a part of it. Part of it is that I'm. I think that I'm too dumb to believe in anything absolutely. Uh, hmm. and I, I just there's I have too many questions that can't be answered to be like it'll sort itself out, you know. But at the same time, like I. I've had enough weird experiences that I would consider consider spiritual experiences to not believe in something. And uh, could you tell us one? Um, I'm not even. Pres- I, I mean, like it's either a really good serendipitous uh, ghost hallucination, or I saw my grandfather's spirit the night he died. But uh, <laughs> there was a. I had a my grandfather when he passed away. Uh, I. Uh, I woke up, or I thought I woke up, and I went into my kitchen, and I was getting a glass of water, and I turned around, and he was there wearing uh, 
Blue long johns. She never wore. Only wore long johns, my grandpa. <laughs> not a fan of pants. Uh, but he was wearing blue long johns, which he never wore. And he just said, you better pass that test. And then I woke up. And I was like, well, that's creepy as shit. Wow. And then I went to school. And uh, I was in college. And while I was in school that day, got a call from my grandmother. Or not from my grandmother, from my mother. And she told me my grandfather had passed away. And I was just like, oh, no. That's, that's wow. creepy. Yeah. But... You know, whatever. He was on my mind. All right. Uh, a week later, I find, or like two to three days later, I find out there's a test I cannot miss uh, if to go to his funeral. Like, I can't reschedule it, can't take it early. I have to take it that day. It's like a, a computer thing. And I'm, so I call my grandmother and I'm just like, hey, I'm really sorry I can't do this. And she's like, you understand, like, I understand your education comes first. Don't worry about it. And I was like, you know, it's weird. I got this, I had this dream of the night before grandpa died. Uh, and she, I told her about it, and she was just like, he didn't wear blue long johns. And I was like, I know. It was weird. She's like, except for the day that he died. And like, what? I was like, what? <laughs> she had bought him... <laughs> She had bought him blue long johns that day, and it was the like she he was wearing them what? when he died, and I'm just like, what? and I like I legitimately I don't know what. <laughs> also, props to my grandmother for having storytelling ability, being like, yeah. except for but, yeah, <laughs> but like straight up, like so to a certain degree, I'm like, all right, I don't know if that's a god thing, I don't know if that's a spirit thing, I don't know if uh, you know, I I think that human beings are bags of water and energy, so maybe the you know, your family and you have a, a certain emotional or psychic connection. And when he was gone, he wanted to, you know, be creepy one last time. I don't know, you know, but uh, that's weird to me. You know, yeah. there have been, uh, you know, I've, I've had moment. I have a connection with my mom where, you know, uh, <laughs> I got fired uh, a couple of years ago. And as I was walking out of the building, I got a call from her and she was just like, so what's wrong? And I was like, what do you mean? She's just like, I don't know. I was supposed to call you. And I was just like, the f- what? Wow. <laughs> I mean, yeah. like there's, there's stuff like that, that I, I can't explain. And mm-hmm. like, so I think maybe there's something, I don't know what it is. Um, but as I get older, it's less about religion and it's more about belief and being like a decent person. I try to live, live my life like a Christian, just cause like if you separate everything from the Bible from Jesus, which is what I try to do, uh, it's not a bad book. You know, mm-hmm. once you just take all the murder and death and incest and ghosts and dragons, there's a really cool book about being nice to people. Mm. Um, there's a, was it the Jefferson. Yeah. I think it was Thomas Jefferson made this thing called the Jefferson Bible. And what it is, he just took, took the gospels and he took out all the magic. One second. I have to tell my cat to stop scratching. Okay. There you go. So he took out, he took out all the magic from the gospels and all you're left with is what Jesus taught. And if you're an atheist, it's a really good book of just how to be a good and decent person, you know, just like, Look at people with love. Don't look at anyone with judgment. Don't presume that you know anyone's situation and be like a good and decent person. So like there are times where I'll identify as a Christian just because culturally in the South it's easier. But also like (laughs) – but there's also like I do live my life by those principles by and large. You know, know, I obviously have removed the homophobia and the sexism from it. But like, you know, that's still – So other people like your dad who (laughs) who has his own church. Yeah. So there is hope. Well, that's that's the thing. Like, you know, I've seen like I've I've my my dad has the sort of church where if every church had that, I would have no problem calling myself a Christian, Mm -hmm. you know, where I'm just like, 
that's that's what love is. That's where that that's what a community is. They take care of each other, um, and it's just like it's a cool, amazing place. And I wish there was more of that. There, like I'm the only person I know who's angst about religion is I wish I could believe in it more. You know, wow. like yeah, because it like I love the community aspect of church. I think that like I there's. I defy anyone to stand in a crowd where everyone's singing and not get stoked. You know, like, <laughs> I don't know how you can do that. You know, that's why concerts are so popular. You yeah. know, it's just like even the even like a, even like if you go see future, everyone there is fellowshipping. They might be fellowshipping with the devil, but they're fellowshipping, <laughs> you know, and that's I think that's something cool. Uh, you know, sometimes even when I promote my shows and stuff, I'm like, hey, come fellowship with us because that's what I feel like it is. Comedy is a bunch of people feeling an emotional response in a group, and that's awesome. Boom. That's like my favorite thing in the entire world about comedy, you know? Yeah. Everyone finding joy in the same thing at the same time, there's like power in that. That's really fucking cool. And you definitely know the power of love. Like, you and your wife, the relationship you two have. <laughs> the power. Uh, sorry. It's really, no, you, you're singing. You can go ahead and do the, you're a singer. You want to harness that old. No, nah, no, nah, I just like know? that song. That is a great song. But the, I mean, your relationship is something inspirational to anybody who knows you. Oh, just as far as your story. You well, know. That's just because they don't know us. But <laughs> it's a lot of pressure. It's so it's much a lot pressure. of pressure because you guys were high school sweethearts. Yeah. So been together since we were uh, seventeen and sixteen, mm-hmm. and I'm thirty-one. She's thirty now. So, God, uh. was it the ballet that got you, Emily? You did the first time she met me. Yeah. She can't. Her uh, her high school came to see my high school do a production of Pippin, and because uh, it was a performing arts school, and uh, we met afterwards and very briefly, because we had mutual friends. Uh, it was God. It was I mean, it was one of those choir dorks. Not, I can't even remember the name of now, but without which I wouldn't have my bride. So yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh, I oh yeah. <laughs> was it James Victoria? Wait, what? Who? No, different story. Oh, you were dating other people. So we, you yeah, we met on your significant others. No, we didn't. We okay. it was much worse, much more emotional. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the uh, no, like we met very briefly in the, this music musical that I did, and then uh, like a month later, we went and uh, saw the Lord of the Rings Fellowship of the Ring on a double date uh, with other people. That we were dating, and oh, we both like and hit it off, just but not like in a romantic way. Right. We just by the end of oh, maybe for you it was romantic, but like for was it? Did I make you sound bad there? Edit that out. So you, you uh, both went on. <laughs> she was like, "I'm leaving this fool for this fella. I'm gonna no, steal." Because you were dating my very good friend. So yeah, like we were. I, I just was like, man, now he's gonna be my very good friend because he's awesome. Yeah, like we. It was pretty simple. There wasn't like it wasn't. Uh-huh. We didn't mean to date at all. We. Yeah. Uh, like what happened? We went on this double date, and we ended up hanging out because, like, when you we go on a double date in high school, it's mostly just teenagers hanging out. Mm-hmm. And I didn't like we, we both sort of noticed, but didn't notice. But like when we went out to eat after the movie, we basically just talked to each other the entire time. You can really get a more honest representation of who someone is before they're trying to like bang you. That's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think that's the key. Maybe. To know each other before they're trying to bang you. To go on a double date with other people, but really wanting the to other be person. First, because like if they're not trying to sleep with you, then like they have no reason to like you. That's a good point. That's terrifying. And how long did you date before you got married? Uh, years. Seven. 
Seven years? Yeah. Like that so was the, she knows. Seven. Yeah. Seven. I was I mean, I knew. I was just saying I know, I know. I was a joke. I was riffing. Wow. The uh yeah, like we we talked on instant messenger for six months. <laughs> That's yeah, no, like straight up. Like That's what's up. Without instant messenger, which everyone's what's instant messenger? Yeah. So it's Google so long up. ago. Yeah. We uh yeah, we, we would talk on instant messenger every night and just be like, Hey, like we, we were both into like punk rock music and uh making dumb jokes so i like i'd get home from school and then while i was doing my homework we would talk on the computer and mm-hmm. then talk on the phone and then uh when we stopped dating our friends uh our other like the people we were dating we started hanging out even more and even then like i was just like no we can't date like we can't date at all because yeah even that like we i was like we can't date because that would just seem weird Mm-hmm. And then uh, the thing that honestly, the thing that got us together, and I feel like the thing that still to this day, like even when we want to kill each other, like it's the thing, like the first time we really admitted that we liked each other. Uh, my prom date that year uh, got a boyfriend right before prom, and we, we, I was just going with a friend. You to be your best friend at the time. Yeah, it was my best friend at the time. Uh-huh. <laughs> and it was, and it was fine. Like again, there was I, I had no romantic connections with my prom date. Uh-huh. Um, and I was just like, you know what? I want you to go to prom with your boyfriend. Here's the ticket I bought. Don't worry about it. But I already had this tux. So um, Michael, the cripping, cripplingly understanding person. Yeah, I'm I'm really chill. Uh, <laughs> so I was like, don't worry. I'm gonna rent this tux anyway. <laughs> right, right, right. So I called I called up Emily and was just like, hey, like I know you still have your dress from prom. I have this tux. I don't have any use for. Do you want to like? dress up nice, go to dinner, have like a fake prom. And she was just wow. like, yeah, that'd be fun. I was like, all right, cool. So we went and got some Chinese food and uh, rented a movie. I think, I, was it Nightmare on Elm Street? Did I make you watch Nightmare on Elm Street? So. Was that the night? Yeah. I made her watch Nightmare on Elm Street. How romantic. Because I don't have any game. And so you had a Blockbuster card. <laughs> yeah. I, it was a free rental. I don't mean to brag. I worked at Blockbuster. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I took her to the, the. I took her to my work and used a free rental because I I was uh, a child and uh, we went back to her, her her folks' house and we watched the movie and about halfway through the movie started making eyes at each other and then uh, Emily in a, uh, a a fit of bravery tried to kiss me and I being the biggest douchebag in the entire world wow. was like you can't kiss me because uh, I'll know it's you and like. I just don't want to ruin our friendship. And wow. she's just like, whatever. Uh, and then it, we finished the movie, and I looked outside, and it was real storm. It was like foggy and stormy, and I was just like, all right, it's it's time for me to go. It's like she lived on top of a mountain. It was kind of a treacherous drive home. <laughs> I was just like, all right, I'll I'll you know I'll see I'll talk to you tomorrow. We'll talk about this, blah blah blah. And I walked to my car, and as I was putting my key in the door, I heard this like these steps behind me, and she ran through the fog, spun me around kissed me and said you don't know who did that and then ran back inside and i was just like all right i love that girl like it was it was instant it was it was like a john hughes movie like she it was legitimately the most romantic thing anyone's ever done in my life now granted i stopped looking for romance other places after that mm-hmm. but still like that's oh but knoxville just keeps coming for you isn't that what knoxville no, who's what's, what's her knoxville? there's a girl named knoxville yeah. in the oh, equation Oh, yeah, a girl hit on me one time when I was on the road, and she drove three hours to Knoxville to hang out the next day to make sure there wasn't anyone. Because she trusts me with love. Um, I trust you. I just don't like being disrespected by fellow women. It was a drunk girl 
at a bar who is making moves and despite knowing I was in a relationship. But you, this is a very mm-hmm. odd place to plant your flag. <laughs> You're just like, I just want to make sure that part of this podcast forever is me being nuts about this person. <laughs> it's just, but out of all the years you've been together and there's only that one example, Even that wasn't, I wasn't and being wasn't untoward. That big of a deal. I wasn't being untoward. I just, <laughs> someone's going to be like, ah, oh, he's a cheater. <laughs> did, did you go to college together? Yeah. I mean, until she dropped out of college to become a successful tattoo artist. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we we went to community college to get like our prereqs and shit out of the mm-hmm. way, which was fun. But also, we discovered we shouldn't take classes together because we cannot pay attention. Uh huh. We just we, we failed math twice because we kept passing notes <laughs> in college. Like we we're terrible. Um, and then uh, she dropped out of college to become a tattoo artist and is now a wildly successful tattoo artist. Definitely. Uh, tattoos by Emily Effler online. She's incredible, and she should do all of your ink if you're in Los Angeles. It's beautiful. And how did how did you uh, propose? I have to ask. Oh shit! That was the oh god. Because um, I know you're the romantic type. <laughs> god damn it! All right, fine. Uh, hold on. <laughs> that sizzling sound you hear is uh, <laughs> us making dinner. Also, the sound of hearts a fluttering. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, it, I proposed on Christmas Eve because I was like, "What could what could possibly go wrong about ruining Christmas?" Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, we went to dinner at my folks' house, as we always do. We went back to our apartment. And I was like, I want to give you one of your presents early. And I had, uh, like, uh, you know, like Russian nesting dolls? Yes. I had the Christmas gift box equivalent of that. I had, like, a, one of those boxes that comes with, like, nine smaller boxes in it. Yeah. And I just made her keep opening boxes. Because <laughs> I'm romantic, but I'm also a dick. <laughs> and uh, there was the, the next-to-last box had a note in it uh like a letter that i wrote about uh how she's my best friend and i think i did i compare myself to a rat in some way because i'm bad at romance there was a cute mickey mouse that was it yeah <laughs> there was something i was like i uh, just kind of like you know like i love you and you're my best friend and like uh yeah i i hope you uh enjoy this gift and if not, I apologize. Mm-hmm. And then uh, she opened up the last box, and there was the ring inside of it. I gave her uh, a ring that belonged to my uh, my mom, and uh, she made the ugliest face. <laughs> like I was like, "Oh shit, I ruined Christmas!" <laughs> like I thought she was gonna say no. Like it was yeah. just this like bunched up, just like. Ugly crier. She's an ugly crier. Oh, okay. But no, I was just like, oh, God, I'm sorry. She was like, yes. I was like, oh, good, good. Never mind. I'm glad we did that. But like it was for like 20 seconds, I was terrified that I had just ruined everything. Um, but yeah, that's and then the next morning, like I, my parents knew that I was going to propose because I told them everything. Uh-huh. Um, so when we showed up the next morning, they were like, yay. Yeah. You know? If only I showed up, they would have been like, yeah, hey, you shouldn't have done it on Christmas Eve. Just not had you like, show up. No, like she <laughs> said, no. So I get Emily's presents this year. <laughs> yeah, a, that's that's how I did it. Uh, we got married on my in the chapel at my college. Um, my dad officiated the ceremony. My brother sang a smoking pope song. Uh, my uncle uh, did uh, a uh, a ceremony for it afterwards. Like it was, yeah, it was like it was really nice. It was a uh, a good situation. We stayed together ever since that. I think it's it's weird because they're like people like 
there are people who tell us that they like respect our love and i think it's just because it exists where like you know because like people don't date for a long time anymore right you know people don't stay together and they're they're like how do you guys stay together and i'm like every time we've wanted to leave we didn't Hmm. and that that was it you know like staying together is just it's staying together is not leaving sometimes you know and it's because it's if you love someone, there's always going to be bad times. There's always going to be times where you hate each other. There's always going to be times where you're sad. There's always going to be times where like one of you is crippling clinical depression, and then your wife is really understanding about it. Like there's always that stuff's always gonna pop up, mm-hmm. you know. Like I like I've always dealt with depression. That's just part of who. I, that's how my brain's wired. It, a lot of it's chemical, mm-hmm. and you just that that's how your shit is. Um, and there have been multiple times she would have been one hundred and ten percent justified to leave my ass and I wouldn't have been able to say anything about it because you got to do what's right for you. And both of us have made the choice that no matter what the other one is going through, we're going to try to hear them out and we're going to fight through it. And we're, you know, we're going to accept that, you know, you know, depression is, it's a cheesy metaphor, but like depression is a lot like the cycle of the day, you know, it's dark now, but it'll be light later, Mm -hmm. you know? And if you decide that love is something that's, you know, valuable to you, fucking do it, you know? So, I mean, like, there have been plenty of times where we should have broken up, uh, but we didn't. And there have been times where people are like, why are you guys still together? And it's like, because we've decided that this is what we're doing, you know? And the thing that's great about that is now we have, you know, like, the thing that I think is most special about love and the thing that I'm really happy about having love in my life for is uh, I get to have history with somebody, Mm. you know? I have fun stories about her from high school. Not everyone gets to have that, you know? Yeah. Like, I didn't, we didn't meet last year on like an, an app. We met, yeah. you know, like we have history, we have stories. We've, you know, we've gotten caught making out in graveyards. We've gotten, we, we've gotten our car broken into driving home or before driving home from a concert and like have this vivid memory of like rain pouring through our window while like trying to like figure, like get home and like, but like also spending the entire time talking about how great that show we just saw was, yeah. you know, like we've, and that I think is, you know, one of those things that keeps love together is history and like remembering where you came from, but also like the knowledge that if you stay together, you get to make more of that. And not only has your mom developed that program that decreased the divorce rate so yeah. much, but you've also written articles yourself about relationships, haven't you? Oh God. Yeah. Um, I used to write for a, a sex advice website called funforlovers.com. Uh, <laughs> that is, uh, I mean, I've, that's, I'm a freelancer. I'll write basically anything that I'm asked to write. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that was, I, I want to be very clear. When I wrote for that, that was more of a, I need a job and they pay good than okay. <laughs> like I'm, a, I'm an expert in relationships or anything like that. It was just kind of like the fun thing about freelancing is as long as someone's paying you, everyone's an expert. So uh, <laughs> it was that was that was uh, I've done. I've had a lot of weird freelance jobs. I've written the same time I was writing a, a sex advice column. I was ghostwriting a church's website. Um, wow. <laughs> like that I viciously disagreed with. But yeah. I was like, whatever, it's 50 bucks. Like <laughs> that's. Yeah, I'm po- I'm I'm poor. I can't wait till I'm rich enough to have morals. But uh, that's well, she's a successful uh, tattoo artist about to move to L.A. Oh yeah, oh she's, she's taking you with. Yeah, course. yeah. I'm the only person who moved to L.A. to keep a marriage together. Um, <laughs> it's <laughs> like I I'm excited about it. I've got a bunch of friends out there. Um, like I I'll, I'll, I I make fun of myself a lot, but I'm funny. I mean, like I've 
I've gotten, I, I get to work at clubs sometimes and I've been asked to open for people that I didn't book. And, uh, I got asked to do, to film a, a spot on this vice show that's coming up next year. I don't know if I'm, I'm allowed to say that. Yeah. There was like, they did, they did a public advertisement for it locally. So, uh, this, I got asked to, you know, be part of this flop house recording that Vice was doing. And, like, I've done enough stuff where I can feel with confidence that I'm funny. People I respect have told me that. Like, I feel like I'll do okay there. It's going to be a, a complete, total shift from, like, Atlanta, where we are spoiled, rotten, with great stage time all the time. Like, right. you just, on a bad night, you could get eight minutes if you tried, you know? <laughs> yeah. Like, if yep. you, you're just like, you're just like, I'm, I'm a garbage comedian and none of my peers respect me, and I did eight minutes tonight. Like, <laughs> you don't, you don't even have to be good to get time here. Whereas, like, LA, it's just like in LA, Chicago, New York, there's so many mics where it's like 70 people and everyone's doing two minutes and no one's happy. You know, yeah, <laughs> like, it's true. It's like, it, and that's part of it. And that, like, I'm not besmirching that. I think that's, you know, its own valuable art form to a certain degree. But, like, I'm, I've been spoiled rotten by this town, you know? You yeah. Can, there's so much time and so many different audiences that you can go up front of. You know, you like I, I can do an urban room, I can do a hillbilly room, I can do a hipster room all within the same evening if I plan it right. Mm-hmm. That is special, you know? Yeah. So LA is gonna be a fucking that's gonna be a jarring shift. <laughs> but was that the plan anyway to eventually move out there? Uh yeah. I promised Emily at uh, a couple years ago that at some point we would end up in California. She's a California girl. Uh and from she's birth. From there, right? yeah. yeah. I mean like there there have been at least two times that I woke up. And there was just a note on the bed, and she was like, "Hey, went to Savannah, be back later." And it's like, because she had to go, she's like, she needed to go put her feet in the ocean. And I'm just like, I accept that, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, I, I feel like there's, you know, I think there's value in having things that bring you comfort, you know. And for her, being near the ocean is one of those. So like, that's always been our long term plan, just because like I want her to be happy. Mm. Um, and I have no idea what I'm gonna do there, because uh, I'm I'm good at promoting, but I don't know how to promote to people who are also promoting. Um, you know? and it's yeah. like if everyone's everyone's working towards an industry i don't know exactly what i'm supposed to do to like be like hey you know that how you're you guys are trying to follow your dreams well uh help me i'm good at getting people who just spent the day not following their dreams to do stuff you know like yeah. if you work in an office i can make your night better if everyone's trying to do something at night i don't know how to promote there yet so that that's going to be a fun challenge i think but I like the scene's really cool out there, and people are really great, and I know folks out there, and hopefully it won't backfire. And you've been into a new scene before. I mean, you started in Chattanooga, mm-hmm. built up your name there, came to Atlanta, built up your name there. Mm-hmm. Like, not well, even built up your name, but became an influential figure in these scenes. Thank you. So I think you've only just been building up to take it to the, mm-hmm. the big stage, really. Well, and, and part of, like, one of the things I've done that I'm sort of... that One of the things I've done that's helpful, and one of the things that... um. I think will probably help me to a certain degree is like uh, any opportunity I had to make a friend, I make a friend. Like mm-hmm. I don't, I hate, I hate when people are like, you're really good at networking. Cause I'm really bad at networking. I can't talk to people I don't like. Mm-hmm. There's so many useful people that I could have relationships with that. I don't have relationships with because they drive me fucking insane. <laughs> and I just can't waste my time talking to them. But there are a bunch of people who I'm like, I'm going to lose money on this show by promoting the show for you. But I think that you're amazing and I believe in you and you're my friend and I think you're great. And I'm going to do that because like I believe in it. And mo- sometimes that's worked great. And when that works great, I put that money in the bank to pay for the next time that it doesn't work great. Right. You know, which is more, 
money management than it is anything else. But like, you know, I, I've made a lot of good friends, you know, which is nice. I've also uh, gone to like if festivals are so fucking useful. Mm. Uh, every festival I've ever gone to, like, is is a really good time to meet other comics in other cities. And like, if you guys become friends there, and they're like, they're gonna be like, hey, come do a show in my city. So like, I made a lot of friends in Chicago. I've spent a lot of time in Chicago doing comedy because I love that city and I yeah. love that scene. But I also love Chicago comics, and they've always been really cool and like supportive of me. Um, and like. That's helped in other places where, like, I'll go uh, to a new... I went to Austin, and almost all the connections I had in Austin were from friends from Chicago or friends that from L.A. that I met in Chicago because they were in Chicago at the same time that I was, and now we're, like, good friends and, like, all that. Like, so a lot of it's just kind of, like, being friendly everywhere you go. <laughs> yeah, which is what you were raised to yeah, be like. you know, I mean, like, it's... I just like having a bunch of friends. I like having people who want to... My favorite thing is like to get a beer and talk to comics. That's like the greatest thing you could possibly do. Not yeah. even talking about, like talking about comedy sucks a lot of the time, but like <laughs> when you're like, "Oh my god, what if I could just talk about bullshit with funny people?" That's the great like just like I I spent 2 hours one night talking with a bunch of people after the 1 a.m. about like how the or like dinosaurs extinction and shit. <laughs> we were just like standing out back, yeah. smoking cigarettes, <laughs> having fun just like bullshitting about dinosaurs for no reason other than because everyone can talk that's like everyone can talk we're all greatest. professional talkers dude professional bro, talkers no one talks no one's good at like as a society we do not we value noise we don't value conversation you mm. know mm -hmm. and like if you're good at talking i will make time for you in my life like that is <laughs> i love people who can talk well i appreciate you making time out of your life to do this oh, thank you Cause you were you were on my list, and I'm glad I could catch you before you moved to LA. I appreciate you doing it. It's uh, it was a real, it's a fucking fantastic podcast. I'm flattered and honored to be on it. Thank you, man. Is uh, before we get out of here, uh -huh. uh, is there anything else you want the world to know? Um, I mean, the lizard people run everything, but I don't okay. know if this is the the place for <laughs> it. But uh, no, I mean, like I I. I uh, I feel like everyone should come and do comedy in Atlanta. Like, I take it back. Everyone hates that there's so many people moving there. But like, like I mm. I, I love Atlanta. I think Atlanta mm -hmm. is legitimately one of the top five comedy scenes in the country. Um, and part of it is because we have uh, a great deal of stage time. But also part of it is like w this is a scene where people will watch you. And like, I just I love Atlanta. And if you like, if you don't go to comedy shows here all the time, you are fucking up so hard. Just because there's so many fucking brilliant people. Definitely. You know, like Atlanta gives you so many opportunities to see brilliant people just grow that like if you're not going, if you're staying in and watching TV and not going to a show, like what the fuck is wrong with you? You know, yeah. there's free good art all the time. You know, Amen. there's so many brilliant people in this city in every possible scene. If there's, if you feel like you're alone in the world there is someone on stage right now who is specifically talking about what you're going through that will make you feel better about it and like if you just go out and experience it i think that's great and i you know if there's if there's anything that like i like i don't know i'm i'm really bummed to leave the city just because like i love being around it and i know like to grow as an artist and professionally you have to move eventually you don't have to that's I wouldn't move if I didn't have a marriage. But, like, that's... <laughs> <What>? There's... 
there's tons like there's 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 especially right now because of like the decentralization of like the industry Mm, like yes you do have to move to do certain things but there's also like you can get discovered in a a smaller town but at the same time you know like i i you know like there's still value in moving and all that but i mean like i just i love this place you know it it is my favorite city for a lot of reasons but the comedy scene here is just fucking incredible and it has been an honor to be a part of it there is something I, I forgot to ask you this. I Hit ask me. all my guests, but there's something that happens in Atlanta a lot is um, not a lot, but uh, most comics that perform in Atlanta have a story or experience of getting booed. And <laughs> you may know from hearing the podcast, I ask everybody this and this could even revert back to your music days if you want. Uh, but what is your boo story? Uh, oh, shit. Did it, wait, I got booed at the comedy catch. Oh, I, that wasn't getting booed. That was just after a show. A guy. I have a joke, and the joke is, uh, I like athe- I like Christians better than atheists because at least atheists or Christians agreed to stop following me into bars to yell at me about their beliefs. <laughs> you know, atheists are always like, "Oh, you're drinking a double whiskey on a Tuesday at 5 p.m. Let you tell you. Let me tell you my testimony. Yeah. You're as truly alone as you feel, <laughs> and that's it. This is a dumb one-liner about." atheist and this guy thought i was making fun of jesus and he, got, he was drunk super drunk mm-hmm. uh and he got really mad at me and he followed me out to the parking lot he was just like hey he was like yelling at me and i was just like dude like leave me alone wow and like he's just like no you disrespect jesus and i was like no i didn't you're an idiot he's like no one talks to me that way and he like pulled out a knife and like chased me into my car um and then i got out and i drove and then i came back like 10 uh, minutes uh, later into the the 10 o'clock show but because um, <laughs> I'm not missing stage time. Of course. But, uh, yeah. that, was, that was in Chattanooga. That didn't happen in, uh, in Atlanta. The worst the the worst set I've ever had in Atlanta, I can say, okay. is uh, uh, the first time I did Star Bar, uh, I did eight minutes of jokes in three minutes and 15 seconds. Nice. And was met with almost total silence. Mm-hmm. And have, I've never been more inspired to do comedy and more broken by comedy than yeah. that moment. Um, that was before I maybe moved to Atlanta, though. That was I was in Chattanooga. I drove Joe Pettis up because his ride left him. And, wow. Um, <laughs> and you would you would drive a lot back and forth from Atlanta. Oh to yeah, I used, that's I mean like I took a, people were like why would you why would you want to do the one a.m. Especially when I took it over, it wasn't doing well. Like right, it, like, it, wasn't. it was basically dead when I yeah, took it over. It was. You're like, why would you do that? And it's like because when I lived in, in Chattanooga, I would like twice a month drive up for the one a.m. because I wasn't well known enough that like the clubs would let me in to watch headliners. So I would go to the one a.m. because I was like, all right, this might be my chance to see like Mark Marin for free. This might be my chance to see like Dave Foley. This would be my chance to see, you know, like Rory Scovel do three hours where he hides under a box for 20 minutes. Like (laughs) you were at that show. I was at that show. But still, one of the greatest comedy shows I've ever seen. I agree. Rory Scovel doing like after the people, there was like 30 minutes of openers. And then he went up and did like two and a half, three hours of comedy. (laughs) And eventually we were just like, it's four. We have to go. Like, Like I would drive up and then drive back and i'd get home sometimes when the sun was coming up but like i loved that show that show was really cool and special so i wanted to you know take it over when i had that opportunity you know i think that's like that, that it's such a like i said it's a fucking cool city you know? yeah <laughs> like, and you built it back and you, you bombed at star bar your first time so hard but now you've become a star bar favorite yeah i would i would, I would hope so. <laughs> so you're a survivor and i think you going out to la you'll do nothing but continue that thank trend. you man i appreciate that and that is a that's that's all the inspiration I have. You've been very inspirational, and I think we learned a lot, man. Oh, thanks, man. I appreciate that. Just, you know, be nice to each other and try to be funny when you can. <laughs> well, thank you, John Michael Bond. Thank you very much, Joel. Yes. Great, man. 
<laughs> yes, well, I'm happy to say this episode didn't bomb. And since our conversation, John Michael has moved out to Los Angeles and has already seen a dead body. So, he's making a name for himself out there in Hollywood. And we're making a name out here on Hot Breath. Thanks to you, listeners. Let me know how you felt about this episode. Especially you out there in England. I know you're listening. Hit us up on iTunes. Drop a review. Let us know how you feel about us. And let me know how you feel about the audio quality while you're there. I've had nothing but good reviews about that so far, thanks to the engineer, the one, the only, Amon Garner. Please, contact him on Facebook for any audio needs. He's the real deal. The theme song is, of course, by the lovely at Aaron A. Rogers on social media. And last but not least, thank you to our sponsor, Wax and Wick, for setting the mood on this hot breath episode. Head on over to waxandwick.co to get your own hand-poured, chemical-free soy candle with the double wood wick. Maybe get the blue pine and find your center. But the center has come and gone here. Until next Monday, we'll see you on... Hot, hot, hot breath. Oh, oh.